0: This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple.
1: Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone.
0: Welcome in listeners, I'm Pastor Randy Moore.
1: I'm Pastor Andy Payton.
0: Pastor Andy Payton, it's good to be back with you. You've had some time off, and uh, we've noted this before when we come out of the business of our lives and actually sit down in chairs opposite one another. It's it's a kind of a nice moment. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's a good discipline, to use a good Christian term. It's a good uh, practice for us to get together and check in and Think about what life is showing us. Think about what the Spirit has to say.
0: I just talked to um, Evelyn, and our people will know who I'm talking about when I talk to Evelyn. And she said, I put some signs up on the door uh, because you're going to be doing the podcast. And so they're sensitive to what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Podcast (laughs) in session. (laughs) Time to be quiet, I suppose. Yes.
0: I get one of those on-air lights and let it flash uh, (laughs) outside outside the office here. Well, uh, you have had some time off, and so that's supposed to be good for our souls, and that's one of the things that I really love about the church. I think the church has been ahead of the culture in, in that idea of the work-life balance, and so you've had some a little bit of re- renewal time.
1: Yeah, I, I took a finally took a week off. It was my first week off since Christmas, and uh And I decided I needed a break to catch my breath before Lent begins because Lent, of course, begins next week. And it was good. We got away. We went to Louisville and saw our girls. It was my first time, too, actually. We saw Frozen on Broadway. We saw a Broadway show. And it was just magical to look at their faces. My girls, as the show began, they were like, this is awesome. And it really is. Uh, It's incredible. If you've ever been to a Broadway show, the way that they're able to sing and the talent is just Incredible. Yeah.
0: Well, good. And one of the things about that, too, is that that renewal, uh, that recreation that we're supposed to experience, it only really works for you if then you can sort of take that back into the business mm-hmm. of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it's like you're just living from from break to break, almost like living for the weekends mm-hmm. where you, whatever that you find, whatever you find in that in that rest has to, in some sense, stay with you all the time.
1: Yeah, it I feel like if a person's really experienced a Sabbath, what happens is that you come out of it in harmony with life. You're you're in this new heart you because you get out of harmony, right? You get busy, you get filled, and you get tired. And what Sabbath is meant to do is kind of like, okay, we're gonna push the pause button for a second, you're gonna catch your breath, you're gonna get back into the rhythm of things. And uh I back to the Broadway show, it, it life is kind of like a dance and you start to get in step with it again and you're able to move much more gracefully again. And, and so that's how I kind of gauge whether or not I really actually tuned in or not. And certainly I've been that person that's gone from work to vacation and then I need a vacation from the vacation again. And, and right. we've all done that, but uh, I feel more centered, I guess, this time around than I sometimes have in the past.
0: I had this conversation with my contemplative prayer group, and I said, after we prayed uh, Sunday evening, I said, I want to share with you all one of the ways that this really has had an impact on my life, and that's that um, the 20 minutes that we're in prayer, um, uh, that stays with you. And and the example that I used was uh, I preached on Sunday and you were away. I preached on Sunday and I know you have the same experience too. You get here early, but then that time uh, from when we arrive at church on a Sunday morning to when the 830 service starts, that time moves faster than any other hour or hour and a half or two hours Mm. throughout the week because there is so much to be done. And I said, uh, both in the 830 service and in the 11 o'clock service, when I sat down in the sanctuary at 830. It was the first time I had sat down since I got mm-hmm. since I got to church. Mm-hmm. There's just a sort of a busyness or getting ready for the service. And then uh, teaching Sunday school in between. And then again, just sitting down at the last minute at 11 o'clock. And I said, I, and I'm able to, in that moment, in order to prepare to worship and to lead worship, then I can go back to that contemplative prayer using my using my words and then click back into that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that idea that what we do contemplatively what we do when we go through periods of renewal is we learn how to go there <laughs> and stay there on some level uh, all through the all through the week and all through our lives
1: yeah you get a taste of it in contemplative prayer when you slow down for me what happens is you start to experience Christ at a level of our being, in a being level, um, I think one of the things that happens in our busy culture is we think Christ is something we do. Well, we it's loving things we do, it's kind things we do, and and certainly there's a part of it that yes, that's true. But uh, way before we did anything at all, uh, Christ is already there at the center of our being, and so in contemplative prayer, what we're doing is we're slowing down to the point where we can experience really what we're talking about when we talk about God is what's happening there. And uh, it's easy to get on the treadmill though on a Sunday morning. And, <laughs> and rather than being a human being, we become a human doing right. and we're not centered. We're not grounded. We're just like next thing to the next thing. We're, if you're not careful, and I've done this on a Sunday morning, many times we become like an anxious mess, just, just going, going, going. We're not centered. And, and that vibe, has an impact on, right. you know, I think people experience that even on a subconscious level, the way we lead worship, the way we preach, and and so I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of slowing down.
0: Yeah, good. Okay, uh, here's a little preview of what we're going to do today. Um, the 25 Articles of Religion, we've been in that. That's been your sermon series uh, for the last several months. We have approached the finale this Sunday. You'll be preaching on the 25th article of religion. That's the way we'll wrap up the podcast today. Now, because I preached uh, last Sunday, uh, we're going to get into the into the book of Mark. This is the, the year of Mark in, in the lectionary. It has been since the beginning of Advent. And so I took some time to sort of catch us up as a congregation to where Mark is in, in the Christian calendar. Because of the 25 Articles of Religion series, we haven't been following Mark all the, all the way through. So I did that, and, and then I brought the congregation up to speed from uh, from uh, Mark 1.1 1, 1 to Mark one twenty eight, because the text for this Sunday was Mark 1.29 to 39. And so this is going to be fun, uh, because... I opened my sermon by saying, you know, I don't know how many people, if asked what their favorite gospel is, would say Mark. Now in the first service, no one raised their hands when I said, are there Mark people out there? And in the second service, only one person raised their hand. And I said, okay, so I'm not out on a limb to say that. And so I think this was going to be a good conversation because while Mark might not be my favorite gospel. Not that anybody has to choose a favorite gospel. I love uh, the gospel of Mark. And as we were talking, you and I uh, got together this morning for coffee, and you said the gospel of Mark is your favorite gospel.
1: Yeah, I love Mark um, for a lot of different reasons, but it's the most straightforward. It's probably the earliest. Um, There's just much to enjoy about Mark, and I, I mean, we can get into this later on if we want, but, uh, it gives us probably the clearest picture of what we call the historical Jesus. And, uh, we can talk more about that if we want, if you want, Randy, but, uh, I just always love Mark. I guess just because it's action packed, you know, Jesus doesn't waste any time. He gets okay. going and starts doing stuff, and right. bam, here we go. And uh, so I've always enjoyed that part of it. Okay,
0: so why don't I read the lesson, uh, Mark one twenty nine to thirty nine, and then we'll back up and and talk about. Um, you know, kind of an introduction to the Gospel of Mark, talk a little about those first 28 verses, and let's just see where it goes. I've got my sermon notes with me here too, and I'd just love to get your feedback on this, Andy. So here's the, here's the text. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought in to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. (laughs) love it. All right, so we've already established that Mark is probably not the favorite gospel for most people. And I talked about that a little bit, and um, and maybe part of that comes in the, in the order in the New Testament itself. Matthew comes first, even though today we've established that Mark was the first one that was written. But Matthew comes first, and I and I wondered why is that? And it might have been because there was a time when people thought Matthew was first. In fact, John Wesley thought Matthew was first. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wesley thought that Mark was kind of a Reader's Digest version of Matthew. Today we know that we know probably certainly that uh, Mark Mark is first. The other thing is is that a lot of the stories that we love about Jesus are just not there. There's no birth uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. I said that it's uh, it's difficult to create a manger scene out of the out of the Gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus arrives as an adult uh, in the Gospel of Mark. And I said, you can't, you you know, people love Luke, you know, for that reason, for the Christmas story. You know, you've got the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and and the angels and, and, and the shepherds. And then Mark even elbows his or Matthew even sort of elbows his way into the Christmas story. In fact, we were still in, in Epiphany. We we're still celebrating the light that's come into the world in Jesus, that light that the Magi followed. And so they become part of our manger scene. And, and we love that. And we love Matthew because of the Sermon on the Mount and five big speeches of, of Jesus there in Matthew. And, um, and then, of course, John. Wow. I mean, you just love, people just love the Gospel of John, um, the prologue. You know, what What a beautiful thing that is. And then the, Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding at Cana. There's John 3.16. You could go on and on and on about how people love the gospel of John. And so here you are with Mark, so pared down, you know, compared to the rest. But it is the earliest. Uh, so we've got to give Mark his due for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, Mark invented the gospel genre. Mark invented the gospel genre before Mark, and now we're talking about 30 or 40 years after the, the life uh, of Jesus. And so uh, the early Christians had had these stories. They had, they had memories. They had a parable here, and they, and they had a, you know, a tradition there. And they loved those. Can you imagine what it was like when, when Mark took all of those things, all, all, all of those traditions, and put them into a story? And then they heard this read to them from the beginning to the very end. Wow. And so Mark has to get his due.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of reasons why we think Mark's the earliest is number one, it's the simplest. Mm -hmm. As you were kind of talking about, Wesley thought of it more as a pared down version of Matthew. But uh, what modern day scholars begin to think about and see as they begin to do text, what we call textual criticism, um, we, we try to understand uh, documents from their historical context. Well, they begin to see that Mark um, was used and is contained in Matthew and Luke. And Mm -hmm. so it seems like the writers of Matthew, the writers of Luke, took Mark as a template uh, for what they wrote. And so we have a lot of the similar stories. Uh, We start with Mark, we have a lot of similar stories in Matthew and Luke, but then they kind of add their own um, narratives and, and ideas from the emerging Christian tradition. Another thing I'll say is, the first century context. People, this was an oral culture, and so when folks start to hear this was written maybe forty years after Jesus died, they're like, "What? You know, you because they're thinking, why didn't they just write it down? They would have wrote it down right away." Well, that's not that's just not the how those a lot of people worked back in those days. Not that they didn't write things down, but by and large, the peasant class they were oral, and a lot of them were illiterate, and so the way the gospel was shared was person-to-person telling stories. That's how it was done. And then as generations began to pass away, I think that's probably what became the um, inspiration for them to kind of write these traditions down. It's And to be clear here, I don't think they're making things up. I, I don't think the writers of the gospel are just making things up. What I think they're trying to do, though, is convey the spirit of who Jesus Christ was and is. They're trying to convey the spirit of a person so that, that we can continue to share that on as we share what we call the good news, the gospel.
0: Yeah. And we can't underestimate uh, the context uh, in, in history. Um, we think that it was the Gospel of Mark was written around AD 70, maybe a few years before that, but certainly around AD 70. And what happened in in AD seventy? Well, there was a re, there was a Jewish revolt, and then there was a war with Rome, and then Rome crushed Jerusalem and and destroyed the temple. That has a profound impact on the Gospel of Mark. It has a profound impact on the on the New Testament um, as a whole. And so that opens it up uh, for us as well. So we don't know for sure who wrote Mark. The early church thought it was that there was this Mark and, th- and this John Mark, and that this came from uh, the teachings of Peter. And um, uh, but at the end of the day, we, we really don't know for sure who wrote it. We don't know exactly who it was written to, and um, you know, and where it was written from. But it, it seems probably uh, safe to say that it was outside Palestine to a non. Uh, Jewish audience, but one thing that we can say, I think, is that whoever it was that wrote it, and we just call that person Mark, as I said, did in, did invent the gospel genre. As you said, they, you know, it was an oral uh, tradition; um, it was an oral culture. And, and they had these memories, and they had better memories because of that than, than we do. You know, we talk about this whole telephone game, you know, mm-hmm. today, and how quickly a message can get confused. Um, just you know, playing that game, but they remembered better. And so, yeah, Mark didn't just make this stuff up. It's in story form, mm-hmm. but that's the way people could digest that. Now mm-hmm. he he didn't make it up out of whole cloth. He had all these stories, but he t- the way he tied them together into this kind of a just a wonder of uh, literature, really. Now, that's not to say it's made up. It's just to say that's the way he told the story. It had a beginning, it had a middle, um, and it had an end. And I, I found this interesting, and this was the first, uh, I like to give the, the congregation kind of an, an assignment, a little bit of homework assignment. I said, the Gospel of Mark was not intended to be read. It was intended to be heard, and it was intended to be heard in its entirety. So of all of the folks who mostly were illiterate, someone in the group who could read, once they got that Gospel of Mark, they got the community together, and that person read it to them from the beginning to the end. And I said to our people, I said, that's my challenge to you. Go home, and it'll take about an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes. Um, Do it. Read it from the beginning to the end. In fact, there are so many resources on... Uh, on the internet, somebody will read it for you o- o- on the internet and yeah. you can listen and then you can listen to it. Mm. So I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm sure you have. It opens it up in a way that reading it,
1: you know, uh,
0: passage by passage never can.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the way it was intended. Back to the genre kind of kind of idea. I, I would almost consider it or, or it's almost like its own drama, its yeah. own... Broadway presentation of, because it's just the way that they communicated back in those days. Uh, One thing I don't want to forget, and I want to point out about the lesson. (laughs) Jump in anywhere. Okay, well, (laughs) one of the things about verse 29 says, as they left the synagogue. Yeah. In Mark, the first thing I think Jesus does is he goes into the synagogue and he casts out a demon. Now, think about that for a moment. It's the religious people of the time That we're possessed by something that's evil. Yeah. That's where the work began. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, what a... I just find that very interesting, because what happens a lot of times is we get possessed by our own religion, and we miss the bigger point. Mm -hmm. We get possessed by our own stuff, we miss the bigger point. And, And what is the bigger point that Jesus is inviting us to as the church? I would suggest it's about being an agent of healing in the world. That's what it means to live out the gospel. It's about, as Jesus did, go into the world to be a sign of God's love and presence. And yet the church so often, like the synagogue of the day in Mark, um, gets so possessed with our forms and our rituals, our practices. We, we miss the bigger issue. And, uh, One of the things that people will say even today is if you Google, Christians are, and then it'll (laughs) self-populate, right? Yeah. Judgmental, uh, hateful, all these kinds of negative things. We're not not what Christ called us to be. And uh, dare I say, we have some demons we need to cast out of our own institutions as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
0: love that. I love that first scene there in the synagogue. And as we go through here, we're going to return to it. I do want to mention, though, that um, another thing that uh, might contribute to why it's not a favorite uh, gospel for many folks is that while Mark does have a resurrection and an an empty tomb, he doesn't record any, any resurrection appearances. And so the last thing that we see in the gospel of Mark are the women running away from the tomb in silence and fear. Boom, it just ends that way. And I love it. I love it because I think Mark knows exactly what he's doing. This is the beginning of the gospel. This isn't the gospel from beginning to end. The end is just the end of the beginning. The rest of the gospel is lived out in our lives. I love that because those who heard this gospel read to them for the first time, they would begin putting it together. Wait a minute, the women didn't tell them here, but somebody told them somewhere the disciples because look what the disciples did. Mm-hmm. So I just love uh I just love what what Mark did right there. And you know, we're not comfortable with that ending and the church wasn't comfortable with that ending and so they provided uh, alternative endings to right. the
1: Gospel of Mark. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was that's expected right like that's i kind of think that's mark's point um you know there's some conversation and debate around maybe the original ending was lost somehow the dog ate it the dog ate it whatever yeah they <laughs> lost it. you know i don't know but uh i think maybe mark's point is like it's up to you now to go live out this story it's up to us now to go live out the gospel um yeah absolutely and so if you go look in any any study bible that has Textual notes—they'll show kind of the other endings that were added on later. Later on, mm-hmm. but the notion here is the Spirit is meant to continue to work through us, and the Spirit of Christ continues to have something to say. And God, John's Gospel, to to jump out of Mark for a moment, went this direction in that uh, Jesus tells the disciples in John's Gospel, "Look, the Spirit of Truth has some other things it's going to teach you, and not, you're not ready to hear them quite yet." But there's going to be some more things that God's going to say to you. And we, the church, need to be open to that, Mm -hmm. that that God's not done speaking yet. There's more yet to come. And one of the big things I would suggest to anyone is don't get possessed by this is the way we've always done it. Uh, Be open to something new. Every moment has something new. God has something to say that's new. And, And a lot of the times what keeps us from living into that back to the Eastern narrative is fear. We're afraid of what people say to us. We're afraid of how people respond to us. A fear always stands in the way when you're listening to the Spirit of God. I know it because I've experienced in my own life, scared to death sometimes when I feel like I'm gonna step out on faith. Well, Jesus dealt with that. And I mean, he was constantly, do not fear, do not always. fear. Always, yes,
0: yes. Do, yes. do not fear. So the Gospel of Mark has, uh, has been called um, a passion narrative with an extended introduction, passion meaning suffering, and so it is a suffering narrative with an extended introduction, and the introduction itself points to the suffering, and so we get an idea of what his main theme was. So the introduction, the first 10 of the 16 chapters, those chapters move so fast. It's one event right after the other. The word immediately appears 42 times in Mark, 11 times in the the first chapter alone. But the but the last week of Jesus's life, this thing is moving so fast. But the last week of Jesus's life takes up one third of the Gospel of Mark. Hmm. This is his emphasis. That is his his emphasis. So, and then almost everything that comes before the Passion narrative points to Jesus's ultimate rejection, abandonment, suffering, and crucifixion. All of it point points that way. To that that christ event god's action in the world uh in jesus christ and mark is more concerned uh, with jesus's deeds than with his words and i said you know most of you all probably have a, a red letter bible if you don't have one you you know what i'm talking about the words of jesus are in red i said when you read the gospel of mark you wonder whether they ran out of red ink because mm-hmm. he only has two r- really major speeches, he has speeches about some parables in chapter four and five, and then there's what's called the little apocalypse in chapter in chapter thirteen, and those are the two main speeches. Otherwise, Jesus doesn't have so much to say. You know, it's all about it's all about the action of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's another difference. Um, but I love that.
1: Yeah. I, th- the phrase from our own Wesleyan tradition that comes to my mind as I think about Mark is it's the it's the gospel that expresses this notion of we practice faith until we have it. And then once we have it, we practice it. What Mark's inviting us to do is get out there and go do something. And yeah. and then doing it, then you realize how real it is. Um, it's almost like a, I like to use the phrase an active mysticism. And I and might be kind of scary to people to use that kind of language. But really what happens is as we engage in outgoing love, as we engage in agape love, we notice the difference it makes in the core of our own being. And then finally the light goes on. We're like, oh, yeah, this is because, well, we're a part of a God that is outgoing love too. And, and so the two eventually comes together. And, and Mark just is this perfect example of Jesus doing that again and again. Ultimately, the world tries to squash him and put out the light, and it comes back. And so the beautiful thing, and I don't know, I mean, Randy, you, you might want to hit on this too, but the beautiful thing about Mark, for example, is in the very ver- first verse, Jesus is called the Son of God. Yeah. And then as Jesus dies, the only other time it's referred to is as Jesus dies, a Roman soldier says, surely this is the Son of God. So what's happening here? Mark is this wonderful proclamation of there's a power greater. There's one that's a power greater. And, and it's something we need to hear today. We look around the world and we see all the violence and we see all the destruction. Um, Mark's people, the people that would have heard of Gospel Mark, their whole world had crumbled around. They had destroyed the Jerusalem temple. The Romans had totally annihilated them. And yet here we come with this good news. Hey, you think that they're it? You think that that violence machine is the most important thing, the most powerful thing? No. No, the most powerful force in the universe is the love of God that we see in Jesus. That's it. And goodness gracious, and how do you learn that that's real? You go practice it. It's as simple as that. Go practice it. Notice the difference. We're
0: going to break down that first verse in, in just a second. But I wanted to back up to the fact that uh, Jesus comes off as more of an introvert you know, in the, uh, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, where he's very extroverted in, in the Gospel of John. But St. Francis of Assisi was quoted. A lot of people will say he was misquoted. They try to say, uh, we can't find it anywhere in, in St. Francis of Assisi uh, that he said this. But um, he was quoted or misquoted as saying, "Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words." And so, I think the one of the reasons why people have a problem with that because they're so hung up on the words. Um, but I, I love, I, I love it, and uh, I mean that's convicting for a preacher. We we use lots of words. We're using lots of words now. Mm-hmm
1: yeah i it yeah our endless blabbering <laughs> you sometimes you're like, we need to get out and go do something and and experience the gospel for ourselves, quit talking about it, but go do it, and it makes a big difference, you know, getting out and serving and and getting beyond the words and yeah, I've heard that about Francis that quote, we don't know if he really said it, I will say it's true. <laughs> right. I mean, we're better off uh, just actually practicing the gospel and then uh it's so it's so real. It's so true that it invites people to want to participate in it as well. And, and we've all known people, right, that practice graceful love. And we, we're like deep down in the core of our being, we see them like, that's life. That's what it's like. That's who I'm called to be.
0: Very good. All right. So then let's zoom in on those first 28 verses of the Gospel of Mark, because once again, what I was trying to do on Sunday day was to sort of catch us up to where Mark has been, because Mark has got, gotten started in the in the church calendar back at Advent. And so I said, let's look at those first 28 verses to catch us up to where we are when we get to the text that I just read, 29 to 39 in the first chapter. And, um, you know, your bible uh, my bible uh, the heading is the gospel according to mark but that's not the title of the book that was at, that's the church's title of the book added in the second century mark's first uh, mark's title is the first line which reads the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the son of god and so let's break down that that first sentence and that's what i tried to do uh, the beginning so you think I think about a couple of things there. John does this in a different way with that prologue, but he takes us back to creation. And so I think that that God is active. This is a God is continuing to create. And now the Christ event is another is another example of that. The other thing we've already talked about is this is only the beginning of the gospel. It's only the beginning of the gospel the gospel is is for us to finish in in our lives um, you can jump in here anyway. we're gonna go big we're going go beginning good news Jesus Christ and Son of God so so it's okay. the beginning
1: yeah yeah um, it does and it does point to Genesis right in the beginning yeah um, I mean the thing that popped in my mind as you're talking is like uh, when I hear the beginning in the Bible I'm thinking uh, this is life at its core. This is reality at its core. This is the way it is meant to run. This is the way it's meant to work. And Jesus is the embodiment, the incarnation of that.
0: And the beginning of the good news. And wow. I referred to my work in, in news in another realm. I said, I know a, few, I know a thing or two. I mean, you, you can't go as many decades as I've gone doing news and not knowing a little bit about news. And I, and I asked, so what is news? Is news the words? No. The news isn't the words. Mm -hmm. News describes events. And so the good news for Mark is the Christ event, Mm -hmm. God's action in the world in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's
1: good news. Right. Well, a person said it well once that you can tell a lot about a person from where they get their news from, (laughs) Yeah. It's so true um, and our, and the, as Christians our news comes from Jesus, our good news comes from Jesus. and that that phrase good news goes back of course, to the Greek word gospel. Mm-hmm. and uh, I, I read somewhere once years ago where that term gospel was used by the Romans too, and yeah. what they would do was the Romans would go off and fight a big battle. and then after they won the battle, typically the Romans won the battles, uh, they would send like a messenger back to the people to say, hey, look, the the battle's over, the war is won, we're, we entered a realm of peace. Yeah. And so when they use that phrase, when Mark used that phrase, the good news, the gospel, he's saying, hey, look, the battle's over, the war is won, we've entered an era of peace, God's love has won, and we've seen it in the Christ event. And goodness, that's such a subversive thing to say. Mm-hmm. We, the impact of that is huge. Yeah, good
0: news. All right, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And so Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is the Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. This is this is Messiah right up front. Um, Mark is establishing this is the Messiah.
1: The anointed one. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah the king. In the Hebrew Bible Testament, when a new king was chosen by God, they would anoint him with oil as a way to signify what had happened. and And Jesus, in this case, is like God's anointed. God's Chosen messenger, God's chosen more than messenger, really uh, liberator too. So yeah, it's much more than just a. Well, I think a lot of times people think of Christ is like it's Jesus' last name or something. No, that's not what it is. is it's it? it's pointing to the anointing of God's presence. I think.
0: Yeah. So the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. We could spend a, a whole you know certain a sermon series a whole sermon series on this, but yeah, but but Mark
1: right up front. This is the this is the Christ, this is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the phrase Son of God uh, I mean, that's used throughout the Bible, but it's also used in the Roman world yes. again. Um, the Caesar was known as the Son of God as the deathless one and, and all these kinds of things. And so from the right to start, I think to put it in context, Mark saying no, no, our guy, is the anointed one of God. Our guy Jesus is the the son of man, this is it. This yeah. is the one, this is the truth, not the Romans. And uh, and there's a power that's greater. Again, it's all echoed. And the first century hearers, they all would have known these things. Mm-hmm. This would have been like, oh, here we go. You know, this is this is gonna be subversive. And everyone leans in, and it's like, right. what are they gonna say next, you know? Right. That kind of thing. Um, it's almost like its own little prelude of what, what is yet to come in the gospel. So the ultimate
0: question in the gospel of Mark is you know who is Jesus. So what's fascinating and brilliant about about Mark is that Mark says from the very beginning who Jesus is. We've just been talking about it. You know, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, son of God. But something that's since then been called dramatic irony is what he is employing here because while the reader, while you and I know who Jesus is. The characters in the Gospel of Mark don't. Mm -hmm. They don't know. Mark knows who Jesus is. God knows who Jesus is. The demons know who Jesus is. The hearers and the readers know who he is, but not a single human being knows who Jesus is until very late in the story. And I just use this as a teaser. We can go ahead and and, and do a little spoiler here. But in my sermon, I said, if you already know who that single human being is, I won't spoil it for you. We'll hold that until we get to to Good Friday and and the Passion story. But it's the centurion. Mm -hmm. The Roman centurion at the cross is the first human being
1: to acknowledge
0: Jesus as the Son of God. He's not one of the followers. He's not a disciple. He's not even a Jew. He's not even a, a, an opponent of Jesus. He's a Roman, and and the, and Mark says by seeing how Jesus died, he said, "This is the Son of God." Yeah. To and again, to me, this is just it's just fascinating the way that Mark
1: tells the story. Sets it up, yeah. yeah. He really sets it up perfectly. Yeah. yeah. As you were talking, Randy, I I thought to myself, they didn't see Jesus. They didn't notice Jesus. They missed. They missed it. How true is that for us, though, yeah. right? Christ is all around, right. always shining through. Yeah. We're walking through miracles all the time, mm-hmm. and we just so caught up in our stuff, we miss it. And, uh, in fact, I would argue Christ is probably doing miracles, just like in the Gospels. We just don't see it. We miss it. And, uh, you know, it takes an event, a big earth-shattering event, before we wake up like that centurion. Yeah, yeah.
0: You've been talking about that a lot, about uh, being— Having our eyes open mm. to God's work in the in the world and seeing it in, uh, in well in everything, ultimately in mm. everything, we're so skeptical. Oh, we're yeah. so scientific and so and, and science is good, but we're so you know we want we want the big thing and we we miss the little ones.
1: We've flattened the world. We've said, you know, we've discovered the world, in fact, is not flat, but we made it flat again <laughs> with our science and our and our it's really not science. It's like scientism, like it's a certain understanding of what science has to be. You know, it's like we assume we already know and and all this. And, and that's the big challenge, Randy. I, and we, I know we don't have time to break this all down. <laughs> but um, I think the big challenge of our time today is we have a materialistic mindset and uh to come to faith is to begin to adopt more or less a spiritual worldview. And, and that's kind of underneath everything I try to do anymore is just convince people, as I would say, that God loves them and God's real. And so what I'm saying, though, is God's not somewhere else. You know, we're trying to move from a materialistic to a more spiritual mindset, which clearly Jesus has uh, throughout the Gospels. Clearly, that's, <laughs> that's his operating system, and, and that's to be Jesus' disciple. It's not just to adopt a certain, about like, it's not like you adopt like a, a series of ethics, although that's part of it. It's to adopt a whole way of seeing the world differently now. Um, we settle for the ethics because those are things we control because our egos want to control other people. But that's not what God's calling <laughs> us to be. God's called us to love other people and to begin to see God's presence shining through. Absolutely.
0: All right, well, the clock is running fast, just like in the Gospel of Mark, the first two-thirds, that clock is just on the move. So I want to s- sort of skip down to, um, the. I said we were going to meditate before communion on something from the text from, from Mark 1, 29 uh, to 39, and I said I want to draw out two things. I said the first is that this story beautifully, uh, just in such a capsule form, uh, represents the divinity and, and, the, and the humanity of Jesus right here in this, in this one story. Um, they come out of the synagogue. They they go into well, even in the synagogue, he there was a a, a demon that he throws out in at, at, at the synagogue, as as you've noted. Then he goes and and he does he acts as God would act and and raises uh, Peter's uh, mother in law using the language of lifting her up. That's resurrection language. He's acting as God in 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 the world, and then. Uh, and then when people hear about it, man, they they gather, the whole city comes around, and then he heals all those people. He and So here he is, here he is acting as God. And then what does he do? He gets up early, mm. before while it's still dark. This is the human Jesus. This guy has been performing miracles, yet he needs to go back to God, and to pray to God, and be al- alone with God and takes it seriously enough to wake up early to do it. I, I mean, I think that preaches all day long. Mm. And I said, do you know why we have two candles on the communion table? I said, it's the, you know, it, that represents bringing in the light of Christ and then taking the light of Christ back, back out into the world. But there are two because it's one's for the divinity and one is for the, for the humanity of Jesus. And we see this in broader strokes. We see that in the first half of the Gospel of Mark, it's, it's the divinity. In the second half, his rejection, th- that's his humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that's just beautiful. In, in a nutshell, it explains that. And the second thing um, that I wanted to draw out concerns the movement from the synagogue to the house. Uh, and this is brilliant. Um, so Mark is saying, okay, so the Christian community actually did move from the synagogue mm. to the house mm-hmm. to the to the house church and um, and I actually found a couple of pictures um, there's a synagogue in Capernaum I think we sort of missed this because he, it's Jesus of Nazareth but Nazareth but I mean they were in Capernaum a lot I mean that's where uh, Peter's yeah, house that's,
1: was that's where the action's at. That's where all it's they, up there on the Sea of Galilee, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah on the
0: north of the Sea of Galilee, and and to this day, there's a fourth or fifth century uh, synagogue there, yeah. and beneath that is the ruins of a synagogue, and they think that this is the one. Next to that, there's a house, mm-hmm. and they think that there's no way to prove this, but they think that this might be the uh, P- Peter's house, you know, where this happened, and um, but. It's always important to catch the context, not only the context of um, the 30s where, when Jesus lived, but also the 60s and the 70s where that second generation Christians lived. And so they're seeing what happened to the movement. The movement did have to leave the, the synagogue, mm-hmm. uh, not just G- Jesus in time moving from the synagogue to the house. The Christianity moved f- from the synagogue. Initially, it was a Jewish m- movement; they were all Jews. Now, this is Greek, right? This is like this gospel is written in Greek. It, it has moved out of the synagogue into the into the house church, and then uh, you know, you know, I made the um, I made the observation as my as my closer to you know to just think about that that um, while Jesus left the synagogue, Jesus is still in the church. You know, and you could even apply that to the temple. The temple's destroyed, but Jesus is still Jesus is still here. And Jesus is still with the church and still healing and still raising people to new life and still driving out demons and still present in the in the bread and the wine. And we had communion. And I I just paused and I said, the twenty-first century church is more institutionalized. We don't we're not in house churches anymore. And I said, but it's also a church that's in decline. If we, you and I read the statistics and we can see that in, the church is in decline. And I, and I said, but because God is God and, and Jesus is, all of the things Mark says about Jesus, there will be a, a revival somehow. And, it, and we're not in control of it. I mean, I mean, God is in control of it. But I said, just consider this, it, that revival, it, maybe it'll be five or six people gathered in somebody's house mm-hmm. uh, around a kitchen table. In the healing presence of Jesus Christ, and the whole city will be gathered outside the door trying to get in.
1: Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, the mother, Peter's mother-in-law, I think really encapsulates what what transformation is all about when it comes to the, the gospel. She has a fever. Jesus heals her. Then she begins to serve. And that's the pattern for us, right? Like we have a fever. And what is the fever? It's meism <laughs> in, in a nutshell. I think we suffer from meism. We're self centered. And uh, Christ wants to heal us of that and move that from sort of a, a me focus to a we focus. And we begin to serve. And as the church begins to come out of its shell, if you will, and see again the world and serve the world in ways that I think Christ is calling us to, then I think, yeah, people become interested in what we have to say. Um, Until then, we got to
0: wait a little longer. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that back up because it's a problematic verse for
1: a lot of people to say that. Yeah, it feels patriarchal. (laughs) Yeah. And I get, and it does. I, I will not sidestep. It's a patriarchal world, but I The devil's in the details, folks. Don't get too bogged down with all this. This is first century context and all those kinds of things. But really the truth of what it's trying to say is it's meant to challenge us. We have to get over ourselves, allow Christ to heal us so we can be about outgoing love. That's when we come alive, period.
0: Yeah, you know, from the patriarchal standpoint, it's like, oh, great. Now now that you're feeling better, how about making us a couple of sandwiches? But that's not it. The same word used for she served is the same word that was used earlier in the gospel when the angels served Jesus in in the temptation. This is about being restored to ministry. Mm, To
1: humanity. To humanity. Yeah. The early church got this so well. uh, I think it was St. Irenaeus um, who said— God became one of us so that we become like God. And the the notion here is the the closer we get to becoming like Jesus, the closer we get to becoming ourselves is really what the idea here is. We find our true selves in giving ourselves away. We find our true selves in agape love. That's where we find it. That's how we get there. Until we move in that direction, then we're never going to find that. If if we think religion's about all these ideas and all these things, not that that's not helpful, but if that's what we think of it as is what we get in return and not give, we're missing the mark. Yeah, and... uh And that's funny, Mark. (laughs) Anyway,
0: so. Well, uh, we'll just say amen and pass the offering plate. And uh, that's that's good stuff. Okay, Uh, last thing we're going to do. We're going to wrap this up in about two minutes. Um, Andy, uh, your sermon series has been really, really wonderful. It's been so helpful. and, um, And we have reached the end. We've reached the end, which is only a beginning. Okay. Yes. Okay, article 25. We're talking about the 25 articles of religion for the Methodists. Again, this was what John Wesley, uh, put together out of the 39 articles of religion of the Church of England when the the Methodist movement was getting started in America. Article 25, the title is Of a Christian Man's Oath. Pastor Andy, this will be the subject of his sermon this Sunday. The description from the article says, As we confess that vain and rash swearing is forbidden Christian men by our Lord Jesus Christ and James, his apostle, So we judge that the Christian religion doth not prohibit, but that a man may swear when the magistrate requireth in a cause of faith and charity, so it be done according to the prophet's teaching and justice, judgment, and truth.
1: Well, it's so (laughs) ironic. They're like, Jesus told us not to do this, but we're going to go do this. (laughs) It's so funny. That's the the things that happened in the history of the church. So here's what I'm going to talk about. It's the last one. Um, And I've learned a lot in the last six months. I've almost preached myself into a new revival, in a sense. Um, And I'm going to process a little bit about what that means for me. But at the end of the day, what my sermon is going to be about is words have consequences. Ideas have consequences. And if we're going to take our faith seriously for the last six months, what I've tried to do is just kind of help us to think through what it is we really believe and why that matters. And so I'm just going to try to wrap it up with that idea: the words and ideas that have consequences, on on who we become and what we become as a people.
0: Awesome! I look forward to it. I thank you all who are listening. If you've made it this far, then you then you're one of our fans, and we appreciate it. Uh, um, as you can tell, we love this. We get we tend to get a little bit nerdy, but uh, bear with us. Um, and thank you. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'd love to see you in church. We'd love to see you worshiping with us virtually. Um, and we'd love to answer any questions you might have. And so go to our website and uh, and shoot us a question. And And we'll talk to you again next week. But have a great week. And we really do thank you for listening. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.